0: You're listening to Ludophilia, I'm Richard Moss. The magical thing about SimCity is that it lets you play with a simplified simulation of a city. It shows you these things that are inherently familiar, like power plants, power lines, police and fire stations, housing, industry, commerce, airports, roads, rail, traffic, and, and it goes on. And it gives you the tools to mess with the system, to make cities without roads, or to experiment with the spatial relationships between those three main urban zones, you know, the residential, the commercial, the industrial, and the special buildings that support them, the police stations. Now, I love SimCity. I have obsessed over every game in the series. probably SimCity 2000 is the one that's given me the best experiences. And one very fond memory, in particular, of the greatest city I ever designed. It was called Roberto Carlos, named after the Brazilian soccer player. I worked on it for about a year, guiding it through maybe 200 years of game time. Generations of sims lived there, and they all loved me. I was an amazing mayor. I had so many doorstops, and an approval rating that was sky high. Right up until I sent a monster in to kill everyone. Because when the launch arcologies took off, And I saw that empty space, and my population had just fallen so far. I just didn't care. I wanted to burn it all down. But the joys of playing SimCity 2000 are a story for another time. We're here to talk about the original SimCity which Right made back in the 1980s. Now, personal computers didn't have much power back then, but they certainly couldn't handle the demands of a full-blown city simulation. So SimCity kinda had to cut some corners, it had to simplify things. Which is why it had just the one type of road, straight. But if you played the game, it wasn't really a bother. SimCity cities looked like cities, they behaved like cities, they had perennial traffic problems, people always complained about unemployment, crime, pollution, and you could find, or at least I could find, real joy in using the simulation to test your ideas about how your city could be better, you know, the city that you actually live in, to prove those stuffy city planners wrong. Because we all think we know better when it comes to things we face every day, like traffic jams and the distance that we have to travel from home to work. SimCity offered a chance to play with our built environment, to play with our cities. And in so doing, it helped us understand more about how and why they are The way that they are. But it turns out that it did this by taking some pretty huge shortcuts in its underlying simulation. It relied on us, the players, to fill in the gaps, to project our pre existing mental models of how cities work onto the game. And we'll come back to that shortly. First, I need to reintroduce Kai Gingold. Back in episode one, I talked to Kai about his software toy, Earth Primer. It's a great, wonderful, really whimsical interactive science book full of simulations showing how lava comes from volcanoes which involve various heat processes beneath the crust, and all sorts of cool things like that, like how wind works, how rain works. I love it. But before he made Earth Primer, Kaim worked at Maxis with Real Rat, and he developed the Creature Creator first Spore, which is another really cool, playful bit of software. And so nowadays, Kyle is doing a PhD, and he's kind of gone full circle here. He's studying what he calls play design, and it's really tightly related to SimCity.
1: The idea behind play design is to is to think just as game design and game studies thinks as, thinks about games as this category of things that can be a sport or a board game or a computer game, and sees these all these different elements as part of of a set with shared characteristics my question is what if we think about play design as something analogous so where something like SimCity sort of falls off the edge of the chart of games because it's not quite a game what if we recalibrate a chart that's made of play things and we look at toys and playgrounds and computer toys software toys as part of a set what would those shared characteristics and Design considerations be that make that set work. So that's the so I'm, that's my high-level interest. And then what I'm doing is looking at SimCity as a case study, and uh, and a, and then some other play things like the Berkeley Adventure Playground and this thing called City Building Education. It's this interesting pedagogic philosophy practice that came about in the '80s, '70s. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, so that, uh, so that's really interesting, actually. So, I was just, um, so that's this city... So it was called city, build, city building education. But now it's called design-based learning. And it's this thing invented by this woman named Doreen Nelson. And interestingly, she is Frank Gehry's younger sister. And she's 76 years old. And I had a great interview with her, flew down and hung out with her at this institute that she was running over the summer, where they're training teachers in this technique.
0: I'm hoping to do a whole episode on this one day, but for now, here's a super quick rundown. Design-based learning, or DBL for short, is used in education programs or the number of Californian high schools and colleges. These days, it's also used to teach things like robotics and business, hence the name change from city building education. It's a lot more pragmatic and systematic in its teaching style and conventional education.
1: Students build cities out of paper and just all kinds of junk material. And this through a sort of role playing and design and construction and social negotiation, the students come to enact different parts of a city and they use the sort of the model building and the city, the sort of fiction of the city as a sort of grounding for all kinds of curricular material and it's a very powerful and innovative pedagogic approach. It's just amazing stuff and then one of the interesting things to me is that she wrote uh, some of the teacher's guides to SimCity and SimLife and so there was this collaboration between Doreen and Maxis and it's kind of a beautiful counterpoint to SimCity because SimCity is this digital based creative play and city building education or dbl is totally analog completely social all the enactment of rules is completely is more improvisational it's flexible you can sort of look under the hood of the simulation it's more about social negotiation and it's sort of a more profound kind of creativity that the participants engage in and they're both about cities and the cities are this sort of the city is this very evocative anchor for both kinds of experiences so they're like really similar but really different. And there's also disasters in, in a DBL, to the teacher will come in and destroy parts of the city and create earthquakes. And you know, there's a lot of these like uncanny parallels between the which and the two different things.
0: As part of his PhD research, kimes analyzing the original SimCity. He has its source code, and he has been poring over it and discovering how the game really works. The amazing thing he's found is that a lot of the time the simulation doesn't actually do what you think it's doing.
1: So for example, in the original SimCity, um, not all of your power plants have to be connected to the power grid. Uh, <laughs> as long as one of them is connected, it will work. And that's kind of interesting because uh, it's like, it's an ex- these are all, these are examples when this disconnect kind of happens where uh, you imagine that more is happening than is actually happening. So it may not even be a bug. And it sort of re- reveals the extent of which your imagination is complicit in the, you know, in the simulation, which is something that Will has talked about at length. You know, there's, nothing, there's nothing sort of new here, but uh, it's kind of interesting to see those places where it doesn't do what you think. Another example would be that the police departments and fire departments, as long as there's one road or rail tile next to them, they're totally content <laughs> in terms of the network, you know. So there's all these kind of things that I was surprised that didn't work the way I expected them to work. But in the hand, maybe not that surprising.
0: Yeah, last time I was playing SimCity, I actually, I was using a lot of rail. Uh, so, so I had some police stations and fire stations that had no road touching them. And I'm just imagining in my head the police responding to crimes on the train. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, yeah they, exactly. they gotta
0: wait for a train, hop on the
1: train, yeah. and then go <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Maybe they have special police trains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which sounds kind of like that would be an awesome game to play. A police or fire on the rail rail, like a city built entirely on rail. Yeah, be like a western or something. <laughs> and actually, another interesting thing is the way that all these different processes are updated over time. There's a lot of multitasking going on. And there's all these processes that run at rhythms, rhythms frequencies, frequencies. and frequencies, and it's what allows it to do all of this heavy lifting, but but still remain responsive. And this kind of that kind of delayed processing is done in a way that the system really looks alive, even though oftentimes a lot of it is asleep. This is kind of like polyrhythm that's happening, of activity, that gives it this liveliness. It, but it's also like it's like one dancer is dancers covering for another dancer, and it's like something's always something's moving, catching your eye. Eyes. But yeah. at any given moment, only one of the dancers is ever moving. But you kind of have the sense of it all kind of moving at once. And that delay is delay, in right? those delays are very much part of the aesthetic of the simulation because it doesn't respond to you instantly. You kind of have to wait for things to unfold. So there's a kind of dramatic component to it. It's both kind of is an artifice very effective and it's computationally very efficient and it's also dramatic.
0: That was Ludophilia, episode five. I know it was just a shorter episode this time around, but that's because I've been working on a crowdfunding campaign for a book project I'm doing. And this episode was supposed to be released in conjunction with that campaign. Unfortunately I had to delay the campaign from the end of March to sometime later this month. Anyway, look out for that when it comes along. Music this week comes from 3 Chain Links, Jesse Spillane, Roll Music and Lee Roosevelt. If you like the show, please support me by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast platform is. You can also donate via PayPal or Patreon, there's more information on that at my website ludophilia.net. And as a final note, I hope you like the improved quality of my voiceover recordings. I've made myself a cool little recording booth in my office using some acoustic foam panels. And I think it sounds pretty great, even if it is a bit awkward to poke my head inside every time I want to record. I'm planning to do some more on-location interviews as the year goes on as well. So far I've mostly been using Skype. So the interview audio should be improving soon too.